We continue with the series of, uh, on Luke, and we are with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. At the beginning of chapter 9, if you remember, Jesus had sent out the 12 apostles, given them some instructions about not carrying a bag, not taking uh, two tunics and that kind of thing. And then after that, he uh, addresses the disciples with this question, who do you say that I am? Peter confesses that Jesus is God's Messiah. And a week later, uh, Peter, John, and James are taken up on the mountain. They see Jesus in his glory. Perhaps the meaning doesn't quite sink in about what is going on because we see the disciples still wrestling and quarreling with each other, arguing with each other about who is the greatest. But the thing is this, at this turning point, Jesus now concentrates on the 12 and on the other disciples to prepare them for Jerusalem and beyond because after Jerusalem, after his resurrection, he would not be physically with them anymore. He would return to the Father. And that is when those who follow Jesus will have to take up the work of proclaiming God's kingdom that Jesus had begun. And the text that was read just now teaches us this one important truth, that anyone who would be a disciple or follower of Jesus will be sent on mission with Jesus. We can't run away. If we say we are followers of Jesus, we will be given that call to go on mission with Him. And the core of that mission is always this, to proclaim the kingdom of God, that is God's gracious rule, is here now on earth. And entry into this kingdom consists of repentance and placing our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That will always form the core of that mission that disciples are sent for. And God's mission will take place everywhere, anywhere, wherever people need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God, that it is available to, him, to them, that is where missions must take place. And so at the end of the road at Jerusalem, the cross waits for Jesus. And so in this preparation, Jesus now sends the disciples out to declare, to do the proclamation themselves. Previously, Jesus was the one who we read in the early chapters of the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe, and so on. But now, the disciples needed to learn to do that. So, sending out the 12 and then sending out the 70 or 72, depending on which manuscript uh, the translators use, uh, 
Both are not wrong. Yeah? And so these 72 are sent out kind of like on a test run, a probation kind of thing. You go out while I am still here, says Jesus, and we'll see what happens. For many of us, when we hear the word mission, uh, the whole picture of having to go to a different country to go and deal with a different culture comes to mind. There are times when it will involve that, but if you pay careful attention, these 72 were sent to villages that were on the road to Jerusalem, not very far and not very different in terms of culture and uh, way of living. And so mission can and does take place at our doorsteps, particularly when there are people who still have not truly encountered God and accepted his invitation to enter the kingdom of God. And so what will it mean for us here today? If we look at the text and if we look at uh, chapter 9 in the earlier time when uh, Jesus sent the 12, both times Jesus breathed the disciples, which is natural because when you send someone on a mission to do something, you have to tell them what is involved, what is required of them. And in the instructions given in chapter 10, uh, Jesus puts in a lot more detail, or Mark records for us a lot more detail than to the twelve, perhaps because the twelve had been always with Jesus, and so they were supposed to kind of get what is involved. And so the first thing that Jesus tells the 72 is that the harvest is plentiful. In other words, people are ready to hear the call to enter God's kingdom. To, they are ready to hear the proclamation that God's kingdom is here. Maybe, or perhaps it was, it's not even maybe, the people did not completely understand what having God's kingdom near meant. Because as we read on, we will find that people were expecting a political and a geographical kingdom even his disciples. But that was not God's intention. That was not Jesus' intention at this time. Nevertheless, the call is still to go proclaim that God's kingdom has come near. But in the same breath as Jesus tells them the harvest is plentiful, he says, go. He says the harvest is plentiful, pray for workers to join you and then he says, go. And so we need to take note that when we pray for missions, when we see that there is work to be done and we pray for missions, you and I need to be ready to get involved. Because when we pray, God will say, I've got a job for you on this one as well. Which was precisely what happened to the 72 Missions work involves many areas today. 
So what need not necessarily be the goer? Always we think of someone going. Huh? But we can be involved in missions and some of us who have done the Kairos course will realise that we can be a sender. Someone who stays here and uh, makes ready the ground for someone to go to another culture, another country or whatever it is. We can be a prayer. Someone who prays for those who goes. We can do administration or organisation work we can give support. And so there are many areas in missions that we are called to. And God, who knows where we are in life, who knows our hearts, will call us to something that He has prepared for us, which He knows suits us. If we feel uncomfortable, then we need to be asking what is going on that we would resist God's call. The second thing about Jesus' instructions is that the disciples are told to travel light. Uh, do not take purse, do not take bag or sandals. And then Jesus says, and do not greet anyone on the road. How unfriendly. Here, when we encounter one another, Outside at a shopping mall, at the coffee shop, we'll say hi at least and then go find our seat or go off if we are on our way out. Uh, or as is common in Malaysia, have you eaten? For us, that is normal. But in the Middle East, if you greeted someone, you were expected to stay and talk and catch up and find out all the news about each other. And if you hadn't seen the person for some time or if, even if it was uh, a stranger, you would spend some time getting to know the person. If someone you know, then you would have to ask after his second cousin's brother who married your mother's sister-in-law's son, kind of thing. And so Jesus says, what in effect Jesus is saying is, the work is urgent, the work is serious. Do not waste time on the road. Get to your destination and get on with the work. For us today, when we are called, we also need to travel light. I realize when I look at some friends who are missionaries, they don't travel light. They have their laptops, they have their books, especially if you're doing translation work. They have their tools if you're doing social development work, and so on and so forth. But it's not about only what we carry with us physically when we go on mission but also what we carry in our hearts. We are called not to be encumbered with the things of the world, not to be distracted as well by the things of the world. And distractions are plenty if we allow them into our lives. And so we need to recognise what would encumber us. We need to recognise what uh, would distract us. And some of these things are really 
uh, not bad things. We are called to focus. And if you remember last week, we looked at the three fellows who uh, were called or had wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus was saying, focus, no looking back, uh, know what the cost is. There's no home, no comfort. And um, you are to leave the dead to bury the dead. The work is urgent. The work is serious. And so we need to see that sometimes good things can draw us away from what God calls us to do. On top of that, over and above all that, when Jesus says, don't take purse, don't take sandals, and so on, it means that they have to trust God to provide. And going into mission is also an act of trust in God. And where God calls us, as someone has famously said, where God calls us, He will provide the grace to sustain us. And so the third thing about Jesus' instructions is that they are Jesus' representatives. And they have that authority to impart Jesus' peace to the home to which they go. When they are welcome, that peace that they offer will rest in that place. On top of that, when they arrive there and people welcome them and accept them, they are to stay put for the duration they are in that town. They are not supposed to move from house to house. And there were people who would do that itinerant preachers or rabbis who would go, which house provides better hospitality, better food, and they would go for that. So if the disciples were sitting in one house and then suddenly the smell of bread wafts in from the neighbor's house and it smells so good, they are not to leave this house and go to the other house. They are to stay where they are, accept the food they are given, eat anything you are given. That's what they are told. For that, they need cast iron stomachs. Ah. And some pastors know this. They are to accept hospitality as it is given to them. When we go with Jesus, we go in his name. We are his representatives and we are given the authority to do Jesus' work. What is important in this work is the proclamation and the fact and the truth that the people who hear it must be served, not the other way around, not that the people who declare it are to be served. We take after Jesus' example who came not to be served, but to serve. And so the people who hear the message are the ones who must be served. And so therefore, not that we don't look after our welfare, not that we... Uh, you know, but Jesus did say he has nowhere to lay his head. Huh? But we are, our comfort is not paramount. Our comfort is not the first and foremost thing that we will look at. And so when we go to places where cultures and practices are different, especially when we go to third world countries or poorer economies or even uh, in places within Malaysia like 
the villages and the Orang Asli areas, we know that the comfort level is definitely different from what we are used to. And we are called to accept that. That's what Jesus' words are saying in effect. I haven't given them instructions. There are other things that they needed to be aware of. One is that God's proclamation of his kingdom demands a response. Not responding in itself is a response. But Jesus in the text, we find three different types of responses. The first is hostility. And Jesus tells the 72 this right at the beginning. He says, go, and immediately after that, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. You and I know what happens to lambs when they go among wolves, especially when the wolves are hungry. Lambs don't last very long. And yet, Jesus tells them, but he doesn't really say anything after that. It comes back to when we go with Jesus, we have to trust him. When we look at a parallel text in Matthew of Jesus sending out the 12, he also says something more than what is said in Luke. This is what he says, to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. First of all, as innocent as doves is we don't practice any deception about what we are proclaiming. We are upfront. And I'm thankful that um, MGS does that. When parents come and want to register their children, they are informed upfront we are a Christian schools. At certain times, Christian prayers will be said. And as chaplain, I do go in to pray at speech day um, for the exams and so on. Paul in Corinthians uh, tells the Corinthians this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And this means being faithful to the task and more importantly, trusting God to see us through the mission to which he has called us. When we are told to be wise as serpents, we need to understand the circumstances in which we carry out God's work. We are called not to give tit for tat. You're hostile to me, I will be even more hostile to you. We are not called for that. Instead, with the wisdom that God gives us, we are to extend God's love wisely to these people. And you've heard me say many times before, loving others 
in the way God loves goes beyond feeling. It is about promoting the good of the other person. It is the desire to see to the well-being of the other person, so much so that personal sacrifice is not a hindrance to the work. And so the first thing is the disciples needed to know people can be hostile to them. The second response they can get is rejection. You go there and you say, peace be upon you, go away. They are rejected. And there would be these places, and Jesus says, what you do on that occasion is to shake the dust off your feet and move off. Carry on. Move on. Don't stay and get bashed. The thing is this, when people shook off their dust, they do it when they have gone to pagan country and they're coming back into Israel, into God's country, so to speak. That's what they do. They shake off the dust because pagan land is unclean with all the idols and all that kind of thing. And so the disciples are told, you do that in those villages who won't accept you because they don't believe in Jesus. Uncleanness, that's what it indicated. And Jesus had a warning for those who would reject his message, that there would be condemnation for them. And he singles out three cities who had rejected him. If you remember, he had spent his time, and these three cities are in the area of Galilee, north of the Lake of Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Chorazin, I've tried to look, there's not much known, but it sits between Capernaum and Bethsaida. If you look at the map of the Lake of Galilee, uh, Capernaum sits kind of on the shore, uh, on the north side of uh, the Lake of Galilee, and Bethsaida is a little bit to the northeast. Chorazin sits somewhere in the center, and Jesus would have passed through that city many times as he moved between Capernaum and Bethsaida and the area. Bethsaida was the hometown of some of the disciples. And we have recorded in the gospel some of the work that Jesus did there. He healed a blind man in Mark chapter 8, 22, and he fed the 5,000. That was around the Bethsaida area. Capernaum was where Jesus had made his base when he left Nazareth to begin his public ministry. And during the years that Jesus did works that included healing a centurion's servant, delivering a man from an unclean spirit in the synagogue, healing a paralytic, if you remember, his friends were so desperate, they broke through the roof and lowered him down. It was in Capernaum. And yet, these three cities, the people there rejected Jesus. They were amazed, yes, but they never made that commitment to follow Jesus. And because they had the good news preached to them, because they had seen Jesus for themselves, because the good news had been presented to them and because they rejected it, the consequence was that they would face 
condemnation. Woe to you. The woe thing is not new. That was how the prophets pronounced judgment upon Israel who walked away from God, who ran after idols over Judah, who also ran after idols. Judgment belongs to God, not us. And so when people reject the message that we preach, that we share with them, ours is not to condemn or judge. Ours is to shake off the dust, maybe not literally, but figuratively, and leave. Leave them to God because God has not finished with them yet. You can never tell because the people of Israel never imagined that Tyre and Sidon, pagan cities would turn to the Lord. But Jesus is saying, you know, if those miracles that were done in these three cities were done in those cities, they would turn and repent and turn to the Lord. And if you think about it, even Nineveh, the Assyrians were considered the most wicked of their age. When Jonah went there and reluctantly preached the message of God to say, God, judgment is coming, they repented. And if they can repent, Tyre and Sidon would as well. And so we are called to be faithful in declaring what we are sent to do. And thirdly, there is, of course, the response of acceptance. When people accept what is proclaimed and repent and come into the kingdom. And the disciples found what a joy it was when that happened. What a joy it was when in the name of Jesus they healed the sick, they cast out demons and they came back and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. I'm not sure how they felt, but the first time it happened and the demons fled, they must have been amazed themselves. Wow! And Jesus' reaction to that was to rejoice, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe this would be the last time that he would be so full of joy because as he approached Jerusalem, his disciples would be arguing. He would have to confront uh, the questioning from the Sadducees and the traps they would lay and so on and so forth. But in this moment, he found his disciples obeying his instructions, doing what he told them to do, doing God's will in other words. And if you remember the ones whom Jesus recognized on the last day are the ones who do God's will. Matthew chapter 7, towards the end, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And he says, you know, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? So all these things can be done in Jesus' name. 
but it is only those who follow the will of God who will be recognized and received into the kingdom. And that was what was happening with the 72 disciples. The thing here is that it is God's will that is important. Sometimes when we get into ministry, we can be so hung up, we can be so caught up with the miraculous, the healings, the deliverances, that we forget what God calls us to do. We forget what is God's will for us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbour as yourself. The purpose of our proclamation is to draw peoples into God's kingdom. And what joy there is when people respond. And so as Jesus rejoiced, he prayed. In that prayer, Jesus put into words what one author describes as the great reversal. And that's a major theme in Luke's, in the Gospel of Luke, because in Luke's Gospel, we find that God is at work to turn the world upside down. Some people may say right side up because the world as it is with sin and everything is upside down. So God is at work to reverse things and bring the world right side up. And in Luke's gospel, we find him recording for us that those over and over again, that those who should know, the experts in law, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and so on, who have spent so much of their life studying scripture, don't get it. They reject Jesus. But the simple folk, those who were considered outcasts, tax collectors, um, prostitutes, those who uh, were less holy than the Pharisees and the others, these were the people who were getting it. These were the people who were coming to follow Jesus. These were the people who gave up what little they had to follow Jesus. Women who were considered second-class citizens were the ones who got it about who Jesus is. And the thing is, that's the way God planned it because those who have it all together more often than not rely on their own being a ability to figure things out they rely on their own skills. They rely on their own strengths. It is those who have nothing who will be able to see Jesus, who will be able to understand what it means to completely be dependent on God. And so when you and I go on missions, when you and I look at people, we need to remember that God looks upon those we, the world, society considers of no consequence, no standing. But those are the very people God looks at. And so we must not marginalize 
anyone. Although sometimes this kind of practices are very deeply ingrained and we need to be very attentive to our own reactions, to our own approaches as we work with people, as we approach people. Last week, I mentioned how Trinity was started by Reverend Ku Cheng Ho when he saw the need for an English work among uh, the children of the Chinese church members. The Chinese church and other early churches like Penang Wesley were begun through missionaries who came from the United States in answer to God's call to go, to come out east. And we would not be here today if not for them. We said earlier that today was MW Sunday. The Methodist woman uh, came out of a sense of missions. We think Methodist women, uh, there, was, there was this missionary society. Eventually, they became the Women's Society of Christian Service, WSCS. And some are not very polite. They call them Women's Society of Coffee Servers. Serving coffee is a mission. It wakes people up to be able to receive the word. And then it became Methodist women. But the origins was out of missions. Big One touched on it earlier. A group of women who had come back from India saw the need for women's work there. They came, they approached different people in the US and they prayed. And out of that, the Women's Foreign Missionary Society, WFMS, was born in 1869. This society uh, existed for 70 years until 1939, where they joined with other women's society and became the Women's Society for Christian Service. And later on, the name was changed to Methodist Women. The way they operated and their motto was two cents a week and prayer. Two cents a week. How much can that come to in the end? But you know what? At the end of 70 years, when they looked at all that they have given, given out, it came to well over 60 million US dollars in that 70 years. Two cents a week and prayer. Small beginnings. It's like God taking those five loaves and two fish and doing wonders with them. The Penang churches, the Methodist schools in Penang have been beneficiaries, not just of those funds, but also of the people, the women they sent out. Mrs. Amelia Paiket, an earl, oh, he was one of the early pastors in Penang Wesley. His wife was the first principal of Methodist Girls' School. And this was followed, she was followed by Miss Clara Martin and many other women who came out east in, awe, in answer to Jesus' call to go. In those days, coming out meant never expecting to go home. That was the sacrifice that they gave 
to follow Jesus into missions. And the churches in Penang, the Methodist churches in Penang, the Methodist schools have been blessed by this early work. You and I inherit that legacy. Jesus now calls us to follow in their footsteps, to inherit that legacy, to ask for a double portion so that we can in turn follow Jesus' call to go and bless the coming generations. The invitation is given to us. What is our answer to Jesus? Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for those who have answered your call to be on mission with you. We ask for grace that we too may hear your call and answer that call, even as there is concern and nervousness and maybe even fear in our hearts. Would you help us to overcome that and to see the mission to which you call us, the specific missions to which you call us. Thank you for giving us this privilege of joining you in your work in order to bless those around us in future generations. We pray this and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, May I invite uh, us to stand for a hymn of dedication.